You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, It's not every day we have a bonafide movie star stroll into the 23rd floor of the Washington Mutual building overlooking beautiful Puget Sound where we record the Savage Lovecast, but that does happen today. Jason Schwartzman dropped by to to talk about the new film he's starring in, The Overnight, a comedy written and directed by Patrick Bryce. Uh, And I am in this rare position of loving a sex comedy that – if you're a sex writer or sex researcher in in the world, anywhere – the number of times you can wholeheartedly and full-throatedly endorse a sex comedy you can count on one hand. I think the sex comedy I could endorse before this one, you have to go all the way back to the 90s, all the way back to Tom Green and The Road Trip, which is a terrific movie. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it. It's smart about sex in a way most sex comedies are not. And The Overnight is smart about sex and smart about marriage, monogamous marriages even, in ways that – Almost all sex comedies are not. Um, it stars not just Jason Schwartzman, but also Taylor Schilling of, you guessed it, Orange is the New Black. She plays Piper in Orange is the New Black. I haven't started watching season three of Orange is the New Black. I'm going to. Terry and I are huge fans of Orange is the New Black. We think it's hilarious and smart and funny and important. It's a really important show. And I was dinking around online this morning right before I sat down to record today's podcast and noticed that there was an article at BuzzFeed about a new character in season three who I have not yet seen named Ruby Rose. And now I am looking at a gif of Ruby Rose and Ruby Rose is fucking hot. Ruby Rose is one of those women that gay men will cruise in grocery stores before realizing that it's a girl. That it's a boyish-looking girl, boyish-looking woman, uh, and not a boyish-looking man. There's this article at BuzzFeed about the reaction of so many people to Ruby Rose. My reaction to Ruby Rose, I'm looking at this gift right now. I would totally do Ruby Rose if you took that head and put it on a guy's body. I would do it. And there's this article at BuzzFeed about other people who are having this same reaction to this character, Ruby Rose. The headline, Queer Women Have a Message for Straight Women quote-unquote, turning gay for Ruby Rose. And the article goes on to detail, article by Sarah Carlin, BuzzFeed news reporter, how annoyed the police on Twitter are at the reaction that so many straight women are having to this character because straight women are taking to Twitter to say, oh my God, they would totally do Ruby Rose, that Ruby Rose is so sexy they would go gay for her. And this is not okay with the not okay brigades on Twitter, which I find really odd because a lot of the same types of people who are scolding straight women on Twitter for saying they would go gay for Ruby Rose are the same types of kind of flag-wavy queer radical types who say that sexuality is fluid and that people should be more open about that fact. Right, And there's a lot of research and data out there to show that particularly female sexuality is fluid, a lot more fluid than male sexuality, which tends to be fixed. But female sexuality is much more fluid and it seems to me a little disrespectful and hypocritical, but disrespectful of straight women's sexuality to scold them for enthusiastically shouting about how attractive this woman is and how attracted to her they are and that they might make an exception for her that they might be just hetero flexible enough to sleep with Ruby Rose to like wrap their knuckles for that just to me seems a little hypocritical oh, and a little silly and a little self-defeating. We want to live in a world where more people are comfortable expressing their same-sex attractions. I don't think it trivializes same-sex attraction for people to say that there are folks out there that they would go – gay for. I'm sitting here saying that I would go straight potentially for Ruby Rose. Not permanently straight. Momentarily. Episodically. Fleetingly straight. And that's not a problem. We should all be comfortable sort of like throwing that out there. Throwing that around. And to jump down people's throats to take to Twitter to scold people for that seems like a waste of 
time, effort, and Twitter. But some days it feels like most of the people on Twitter are there to waste those three things. There is precedent for this. This has happened before. All the nice straight women in America in the past have freaked out about a hot, boyish dyke before. Katie Lang on the cover of, was it GQ or Vanity Fair, being shaved by Cindy Crawford. All the straight ladies in America ran around saying that they would go lesbian or gay for Katie Lang. And lesbian sexuality and bisexuality as identities and institutions survived that assault of straight lady desire for another woman. And lesbianism and bisexuality and all of the rest of it will survive this second coming of the hot dyke that all the straight ladies could see themselves doing. We should welcome that. When guys say that they would make an exception for Ryan Gosling, when straight guys say that, I think that's wonderful because they're looking inside themselves and seeing their capacity for same-sex desire. Maybe it's just a bank shot way of acknowledging that somebody of their, their own sex is attractive, objectively, and yet they have to frame it through a gay lens because expressing it makes them uncomfortable or who knows. All I know is that there's somebody out there saying that gay sex is something that they could see themselves doing with the right person. I don't think that's a problem and I don't think we should waste our time, effort, and scarce tweets. Remember – Twitter is not an infinite resource. Wrapping the knuckles of the straight ladies freaking out for Ruby Rose. Your calls and Jason Schwartzman coming up after this. This episode of the Lovecast is brought to you by Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage using your own computer and your own printer. For a special offer, which includes a digital scale and up to 55 bucks worth of free postage, go to Stamps.com and enter SAVAGE. The Savage Lovecast is sponsored by NatureBox. NatureBox ships great-tasting, wholesome snacks right to your door. Forget the vending machine at work and start snacking smarter with wholesome, delicious treats like salt and pepper pistachios. Support the Lovecast by ordering a free NatureBox sampler at naturebox.com slash savage. Yes, free snacks. Free NatureBox snacks at naturebox.com slash savage. The Savage Lovecast is sponsored by Smart Mouth Activated Mouthwash. Smart Mouth blocks bad breath for 12 hours. Get Smart Mouth at your local drugstore and keep your breath fresh. Hey, Dan. Um, this is a 23-year-old straight guy, um, and I have a question about herpes. So I went out on a second date with this girl I met on OkCupid recently, and uh, when I went to make out with her, she was like, hey, so just so you know, I need to tell you that I have HSC2 genital herpes. And I was like, oh, okay, um, well, thanks for telling me. And, like, you know, we talked about it a little bit. And I was like, I need to do a little bit of research about this just so I can make an informed decision about, like, if I would want to have sex, you know, knowing that that's the case. And she's on um, antiviral medication, and um, we would be using a condom. So, you know, I know that your, your thing about sort of the risk of STDs and um, you encourage people to, you know, just sort of take all the factors into consideration and then just be like, well, you know, living with people is sometimes a risky thing to do, but it's also really fun. And I think I'm leaning towards the fact that I definitely do want to sleep with her because um, it looks like the risk of transmission is very low. But my question is, is so I'm also sleeping with other people and do I have an obligation to tell them that I'm sleeping with somebody who has herpes. Because I guess it's theoretically in very, very improbable circumstances, I'm putting them at risk. And also to be clear, I mean, uh, the person I'm dating and myself, we're all poly and, you know, practicing ethical non-monogamy and all that. So anyways, do you feel like I need to disclose that to people that I'm sitting with? Um, either people that I'm sitting with on a regular basis or just people that might be looking up or whatever, um, given that the risk is, is extremely low. So one in six people have genital herpes, HSV2, according to the CDC. Sounds like you're sleeping with about six people and the people that you're sleeping with who are poly, you're all in this poly community, are probably sleeping with other people besides you and the people they're sleeping with are sleeping with other people besides them and on and on and on. It just seems to me that, you know, if you're signing up for multi-partnered sex, if you're polyamorous or monogamish uh, and aggressively so, you are shouldering, taking on the risk of exposure to the easily transmitted 
herpes or HPV, that that's just something that you are kind of signing up for. And most people who are exposed to herpes, most people who have herpes don't know they have it. Not everyone who's exposed, of course, contracts the disease. And in most cases, you know, how can a lot of people have it without knowing they have it? Because in most cases, it's not that big a deal. Most people have one outbreak or they never have an outbreak, but they do carry the virus and they can pass it along. So, you know, when you wrestle with this question of whether you should disclose, yeah, your sex partners would probably tell you that they would like this disclosed to them. The odds that your sex partners have already been exposed to herpes considering the poly thing and the multi-partner thing are pretty high. So you're probably going to wind up disclosing this if you choose to disclose it to people who already have herpes and don't know it and should be willing to accept as the trade-off for all the awesomeness that having many sex partners and the polyamorous life, all the awesome things that that brings to you, that the negative, the downside, the trade-off is higher risk of contracting certain sexually transmitted infections that are easily passed along through skin-to-skin contact. If you're the kind of person, you know, if you're you, caller, you are interested in this woman, she disclosed to you that she has herpes and you had to go away and think about it and do your research. If you're the kind of person who is terrified of herpes, who would not have sex with someone because they had herpes and were responsible enough to disclose that to you, you probably shouldn't be poly amorous or in any sort of non-monogamous lifestyle setup. You shouldn't be because you are going to be exposed to herpes sooner or later if you haven't been exposed to it already. I would challenge you as you are researching this to go and get a full battery of STI tests yourself and see if you do not already have herpes like one in six Americans, the vast majority of whom do not know they have it. So I'm not really answering your question. I'm just sort of dancing around. Because I'm uncomfortable answering your question because on the one hand, I'm pro-disclosure. I think people should disclose. I think people have a right to informed consent. On the other hand, when it comes to disclosing something like this, herpes, a lot of people react in ignorance because of the stigma and the shame attached to it, which exists out of all proportion to the actual downsides of it, to the actual impact of herpes. And then you add on top of that the kind of – logical progression of thought that all people who are not monogamous should engage in, which would take them to a place where they would be like, yep, the risk of contracting herpes is worth the benefits of this relationship model that I prefer. So I think you should disclose. On the other hand, I think the people to whom you're disclosing this should not have a shit fit. But I know that many – some of them will. Some of them will because people are irrational and engage in magical thinking. And they will tell themselves that the five or six or seven or ten people I'm having sex with couldn't possibly be of the one in six. And that I couldn't possibly be of the one in six. Sometimes I sit here and I wonder about all the times someone with herpes has disclosed to a potential new sex partner that they have herpes. Only to have that potential new sex partner freak out and run away. All along, that potential new sex partner had herpes themselves. And didn't fucking know it. So should you disclose? Yes, yes, you should disclose. She disclosed to you and that created some sort of cosmic obligation for you to disclose to your sex partners if you become sexually active with her. If any of your sex partners freak out because you're choosing to have sex with someone who knows she has herpes and told you she has herpes as opposed to the many women that you've probably already had sex with who didn't know that they had herpes and so didn't disclose it or knew they had herpes and didn't disclose it, if they freak out and run away, well, you don't really want to be sleeping with stupid people anyway, do you? Hi, Dan. Uh, I am a 26-year-old bisexual female living in the Midwest. I've been married to my husband for uh, about uh, three years and I love him to death. He is He's one of the best people that I know, but the problem is, is that the way that he approaches me for sex is just completely not attractive at all. I come home from work, I'm hella tired, had a bad day, said it, talking about it, and he's like, hey, what are you doing? Like, literally that tone. Okay. Hey, you want to go to the bedroom? 
when I have six, and it is, if I had a dick, it would be shrinking. And I don't know what to do, because I feel like if I go with it, that's just going to be encouraging it. But at the same time, like, I've talked to him about it, and I'm like, when you say, touch my penis, it's really just not cute. And I, I don't know what it is, but I'm just, I'm so not interested in sex, not interested at all. She just keeps on talking like that. And it's just, I don't know what to do. Like, I want to have a healthy sex life. But he's just talking like a fucking 16-year-old boy who is completely and utterly clueless. And it's just not cute. Like, I flat out told him, what's that your dick? And, like, just start going at it. And that would probably be more attractive to me. Legitimately. More attractive to me than being, like, touched by a penis and saying it like that or whining, basically, for sex. Yeah. <sighs> I don't really know what to do. Okay, so he asks for sex in this really creepy way. He, 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 not baby talk, teen talk. He acts like some gooby teenager from an American Pie movie. That's the problem. Yeah, basically. And you've told him not to do this, and he keeps doing it. Yeah, basically. I mean, I just... Like, it's just in, you know, his usual response is just kind of, oh, well, you know, it's just it's just funny. You know, I don't mean anything by it. It's like, you yeah, know, that's really not attractive whatsoever. And do you follow through with that? It's, it's, kind like, of the opposite. it's not just not funny. It's not fucking sexy. And you've said that. You've been that explicit and direct. Yeah. Yeah. And he does it anyway? Yeah. Stop fucking him. I haven't. You Which ha- is kind of the you, problem, though. You haven't been stopping or you haven't been fucking? I haven't been fucking. You haven't been fucking him? Not for like two months. Which sucks ass. Does he see a connection but- between his approach, his ask, and what is your answer now? Which is, I'm not fucking you. I mean, I think so, but I think that he also might be kind of blaming it on the fact that, you know, I'm on antidepressants and that, you know, I also think, too, that he kind of has some body issues Yep. and feels a little bit self-conscious about it. Yep, yep, yep. That's just so where I was going to go. because of that, I think that he's... That self-consciousness yeah. was where I was going to go next. Some people, many people, a great many people, there's a lot of sex shame in the culture and it's not just thrown at women, it's also thrown at men will be so uncomfortable with their own desires that they need to adopt a kind of obnoxious belittling persona when they try to express those desires. And the person he's belittling when he acts like that gooby teenager isn't you. It's him. That he feels so disassociated from his own desire to fuck you, to be with you, to get off with you, his own attraction for you, that he doesn't know how to express it in a genuine way or an intentionally sexy way. So he expresses it in a way that emphasizes his own discomfort with his sexuality, with his body, with his desire. And so you need to talk to him about this, that what he's broadcasting to you at that moment is he's not comfortable in his own skin. He's not comfortable with wanting to fuck you. And how are you supposed to feel then about fucking him when you know he's not comfortable wanting to fuck you? That there's something about these interactions that make him so uncomfortable that he turns into this obnoxious, repulsive little boy, teenage boy. How are you supposed to feel about that? It doesn't make you feel good. It doesn't make you in the moment. It doesn't make you feel sexy. All it does is invoke all of this shame and discomfort and awkwardness that makes it hard to connect. And it pisses me off too. There's that too. And it pisses you off. But you, this is something you two have to work on together. Like you need to see on some level that he is, he is not just victimizing you with all of this shit, but he, this stuff is a manifestation of how he was victimized himself, not by, you know, an abuser, but by the culture, by sex shame, by body shame, by whatever religion he was raised in, whatever, like drove that wedge between him and his sexuality. I don't think that he believes that I'm attracted to big guys, Uh huh. you know, because he's, yeah, he's a big guy, but he's also really fucking strong and has these big, gorgeous arms and, you know, like I find that hella attractive. Do you and say, I do tell you, him that. You do tell him that. Oh, yeah. Okay. This is what you tell him next. You have got, how old is your husband? Uh, he is 29. You say to him, 
you've got to grow the fuck up and take yes for an answer and stop questioning my desire for you. Stop questioning my attraction to big guys generally and big guy you and accept it and accept yourself. And then we will have an awesome sex life. But so long as you're doing this, you can't believe you're really attractive act. It's going to damage our sex life and could fatally damage our sex life. That's so sad. It is sad. So you need to, instead of just, you, you should wrap his knuckles. You should keep wrapping his knuckles. You should not fuck him when he does this. You should get up and leave the room when he does this, like touch my dick thing or whatever in the moment while you guys are fucking like get up and leave the room and say, I'll come back when he's gone. When the 14 year old is gone, give me a shout when my 29 year old husband is back. But you should also, outside of sex and outside of the moment, you should express some sympathy for him. You should reach out to him and say, I know where this kind of shit comes from. And it comes from your own discomfort with your own body, your sexuality, whatever. And I'm sorry that you feel that way and you shouldn't feel that way. And you don't have to act that way with me. Yeah. Because you have nothing to be ashamed of and I love you and I'm attracted to you and I want to fuck you. I just don't want to fuck the 14 year old. I don't want to fuck the 14 year old. And you should, you should help him make that separation that there, there are these two people in the room when he does that. There's this 14 year old that you are not attracted to or this 15 year old. And there's your husband that you are attracted to. But so long as he's Mm -hmm. laying this 14 year old veneer on top of himself, you can't connect. Yeah. So look at him and say, you want your dick wet? You want to get fucked? You want, you want a blowjob? You want to eat my pussy? Leave the 14-year-old outside the room or leave the 14-year-old inside your head. Like we all have those voices in our head that that person that's criticizing us, that, you know, that self-loathing I think we all like deal with and and have to roll through life controlling for. Like leave that 14-year-old voice inside your head. I don't need to hear it. Pulls me out of the moment. Yeah. And I love dirty talk. Like don't get me wrong. I fucking love that shit. But it's just like when it's whining. Well, it's not dirty talk. I mean, it's just creepy. Yeah. Tell him to fucking stop. <laughs> you, you've told him I to will. stop it. You've stopped fucking him. My suggestion, go express sympathy and for it, for him, and keep up the other two things, but express some sympathy. And I think maybe that's the missing piece, that once you add that expression of concern and sympathy for his own awkwardness and his own self-loathing, because that's that I believe uh, I'm convinced that is what is motivating this. That is where this voice comes from. And if you, ex- yeah, if, that if, makes if you reassure him and identify where that voice comes from for him, maybe he's not aware of it. Maybe he couldn't articulate it. But if you help pinpoint for him where that voice is coming from, I bet you the voice will disappear or at least no longer be articulate, no longer Set. He will no longer have access to his vocal cords. He will no longer vocalize this shit, even if he's still thinking it on some level. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah, thank you so much for calling me. Good luck with your husband and his dick, or however it is he says it. I can't even do an impression of a 14-year-old. <laughs> his dick. Oh, yeah, his dick. That. Yeah, that's nonsense. <laughs> yeah, not at all. I don't even think people who are attracted to 15-year-olds would find that sexy. Yeah, Josh Duggar probably wouldn't even like it. <laughs> Ooh, sick Sorry, burn. that was terrible. That was, that was terrible. He has it coming. He deserves it. This is the ad break that makes my stomach growl. Of course, I am talking about Nature Box, creators of some of the best damn snacks on the planet. With over 100 nutritionist-approved snacks, NatureBox has something for everyone, all with zero artificial flavors, colors, or sweeteners, zero grams of trans fats, and no high-fructose corn syrup. No artificial nonsense in NatureBox snacks. They send you a box filled with snacks that you've chosen, or they can surprise you with a box of their choosing. Mini Belgian waffles, people. Santa Fe corn sticks, sweet onion kale chips. NatureBox is a present you give yourself. So now I want to give you the chance to try NatureBox for free with a trial box featuring five of their most popular snacks. Are you going to say no to free snacks? No, you are not going to say no to free snacks because there's nothing wrong with you. There's something wrong with someone who would say no to free snacks, but there's nothing wrong with you. So you're going to say yes to your free trial of NatureBox right now by going to naturebox.com slash savage. 
You know you're going to snack. We all do, certainly here at the Lovecast. But you can get smart about it with NatureBox. Go to naturebox.com slash savage to get a free trial box. Again, did I mention that it's free? A free trial box of delicious snacks. Hello, Dan. This is a 26-year-old bisexual female in Austin, Texas. And me and my friends are at the bar, and we're talking about... Should you retroactively apply gender pronouns for a transgender person? We're talking about Catalin Jenner, and should we, when talking about her Olympic career, say that Catalin Jenner competed in the Olympics and she won a medal, or should we say that Bruce Jenner competed in the Olympics and he won a medal? All of this is with the understanding that we now acknowledge that Catalin Jenner is a woman. I haven't heard of this Catalin Jenner. Caitlyn Jenner. I've heard of her. We all heard of her last week. Uh, I don't know how she would feel about this debate around which pronoun to apply to her wins in the Olympics. Um, but I'm pretty sure she wants us to call her Kate because that's the name of her new reality show. Call me Kate, not Catalin. Think of it this way. I saw Parker Malloy make this point on Twitter. Think of it this way. When a woman gets married and takes her husband's name, you don't then use her maiden name when referring to things she did or accomplishments to things she did or things she accomplished before she changed her name. You use her new real last name. We don't stand around having debates and wringing our hands about which name do you use when you refer to Mrs. Whatever – Back before she was Mrs. Whatever. She's just Mrs. Whatever. So in talking about Caitlyn Jenner's Olympic medals, which she won when she was not yet Caitlyn, you should use her pronouns, the ones she's using now. So she won those medals way back when. Trips to the post office are never convenient, so why not get postage right from your desk with Stamps.com? Stamps.com even gives you special postage discounts you can't get at the post office, including first class, priority mail, express, international, and more. You will never pay full price for postage again if you're using Stamps.com. Here's how Stamps.com works. Using your own computer and printer, buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package. Then just hand your mail to the mailman or drop it in any mailbox. It's that easy. It's no wonder over 500,000 small businesses are already using Stamps.com. And right now, you can use my name, Savage, to get this special offer. A no-risk trial plus $110 bonus offer. This includes a digital scale and up to 55 bucks worth of free postage. Don't wait. Go to stamps.com, and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Savage. That's stamps.com. Click the mic. Enter Savage. Hi, Dan. 24-year-old straight calling from Ohio. I was calling about I've been um, seeing a guy for about three months, and we had sex on Saturday night, and we did it doggy style. And he kind of did it so hard, I was kind of gasping for air, and I couldn't even really talk. And and then I noticed I had been bleeding. So he um, kind of did it so hard, I started bleeding. He asked me the next day, hey, do you have your period? I said, no, that's how hard you did it. And he said, oops. And it really shook me up, kind of scared right now to, you know, have sex again. And I was wondering how you would deal with this mentally and to make sure it wouldn't happen moving forward. One way to ensure this doesn't happen moving forward is to not fuck this guy ever again moving forward. The correct response when you realize that you've accidentally, and I'm being generous to him in characterizing it that way, but when you realize that you've accidentally hurt someone during sex, the correct response is not, oops. The correct response is, I'm so sorry, and oh my god, I feel terrible, and blah de blah de blah And if it, you know, went on, if, you know, I was hurting you and you didn't feel like you could say something to me in the moment, that makes me feel even worse. And, and we need to work on that and talk about that and unpack that because I wouldn't feel safe having sex again with someone 
that I hurt the last time I was having sex and they didn't feel like in the moment when I was hurting them, they could say something to me. What was I doing wrong that they didn't feel like they could say something to me in that moment? That would have been the correct response to there's blood on my dick. Are you having your period? No, you fucked me so hard that you made me bleed. That would have been the right response. Oops. Oops is not the fucking right response. Oops is the trapdoor response. Oops is the ejector button response. You do not fuck this guy again. Ever. And you tell him why if he asks, but you don't fuck him again ever. You can have doggy style sex without being injured. People do it every fucking day. But someone who pounds away at you so fucking hard that you can't catch your breath or feel like you can speak in the moment and then you wind up bloodied, that person is an asshole who shouldn't have access to you in that position or any others. We want to thank our sponsor, Smart Mouth Mouthwash. Smart Mouth chose our show to advertise on because they know that we are committed to getting our listeners laid. And getting laid usually starts with a ton of kissing and you don't want bad breath. Fortunately, Smart Mouth Mouthwash blocks bad breath for a full 12 hours so you're ready to go whenever. And Smart Mouth can even prevent morning breath when you rinse at night just in case you're waking up next to someone. Most other mouthwashes only last an hour or so, but Smart Mouth can go all day and all night. Just mix two solutions before rinsing twice a day to activate powerful bad breath blockers. That's the secret to the longest lasting fresh breath out there. Don't get breath blocked. Get Smart Mouth and get fresh with 12 hours of fresh, clean breath. Find Smart Mouth activated mouthwash in the shiny green bottles at CVS Pharmacy or anywhere you shop or at smartmouth.com. We're going to take a quick break from the calls because we have a guest in the studio to take a few questions with us. Jason Schwartzman, he's in town here in Seattle for the Seattle National Film Festival, which wrapped up last week. Uh, He was here to attend a screening of The Overnight. It's a new film from writer-director Patrick Price, starring Jason Schwartzman, Taylor Schilling, Adam Scott, and Judith Godrash, whose name I'm probably mispronouncing. That was nice. That was nice. Was it close? Godrash. Godrash? Godrash. She's French. There's there's an accent in her name. I don't know what to do with it. But she's great, and you're great. I saw oh, the film last night. Thank you night, so much. And it was amazing. And, I, and I'm not just humping your leg, and I was really worried I wasn't going to like it because I hate all sex comedies mm-hmm. in film because they're usually really colossally stupid. And this is the uh, stupid about sex. They may be smart about other things mm-hmm. or funny about some stuff, but dumb about sex. And this film is so smart about sex. Oh, cool. And it's the first smart sex comedy since Road Trip. 15 years ago. Love Road Trip. I do too. Yeah, I love that movie. How did it happen? Well, first of all, tell people what the film's about. No spoilers. but Yeah, well, the spoiler. Okay, so basically uh, Adam Scott and Taylor Schilling play a couple that's moved from Seattle to Los Angeles. And um, they don't really have friends there yet. And their, uh, their son goes to a park and meets another little boy. And I play that little boy's father. And um, we meet... And I, you know, learn that they that they don't really know anyone in L.A. And I invite them over to my house. Um, and they go anyway, despite that hat. Despite that hat, which is not a spoiler, but your no. character is wearing a hat that, is. in any other context, would be a red flag. You know, it's funny because um, there I was in Austin, Texas, and I had f- made a movie there called Seven Chinese Brothers, and it also played in the Seattle um, Film Festival. Anyway, when the movie was over, I went to this. There's like this cowboy store. In Austin, uh, in Austin, yeah, Uh and I was and I was like looking around, and I saw that hat hanging on the wall, and I thought to myself, "I'm gonna need that hat for something." I mean, I I don't know why, but I bought that hat. hat? I bought that hat, and I just like put it in a closet. I don't know why. The costume designer didn't put it on your head to make the other couples agreeing to come over to your house not look like a colossal error of judgment. Well, I think we agreed upon it together that this would be just the right cherry on top <laughs> of, of this of the sunday but yeah because i was like i think i might have something um stashed away that could be um just what the doctor ordered so the, um, the film is about these these two couples yeah meet, so they and meet, their kids are get playing so the your character invites this other couple over right. for a play date to keep the kids playing keep that's the kids right together. for a pizza night and, and it, it turns into a play date it does it turns into a play date for and the it, grown-ups for the grown-ups yeah and it and it's sort of like um you know i i don't know about you guys but um most wild experiences or cathartic experiences, whatever you want to call them, do happen. I mean, no one really plans them. I mean, I've never had, like, my brother, for instance, call me and say, like, what are you doing tomorrow? 
because I'd like to have a cathartic lunch with you, um, that you just sort of like sit down with someone and you're talking and then the next thing you know... Shit goes down. It's coming, it's coming out. Mm-hmm. And um, that's sort of what happens this night is a lot is called into question and these couples sort of like go down um, a rabbit hole um, of curiosity and questioning. And, um, and I, that's sort of how I have to leave it because there's a lot of spoiler type things and I don't want to give too much away, but... It's really wild. And, and it's really smart and without not being funny. It's smart and funny at the same time. Yeah. Sometimes when you talk to people who make theater, who make films, there's this – it gets into their heads that it can be smart or funny but not both. Right. And it's both. And it's smart and funny about long-term relationships, parenting, body issues, sexual yeah. adventures, people's comfort zones. Yeah. It just works on so <laughs> – there's so much going on in this film. Yeah. And I'm so excited about it. Oh, me too. I'm and so to happy. It. Well, we were so happy that you liked it because when I found out that you were going to be um, coming and moderating this Q and I was so nervous <laughs> because I can't imagine like you know being asked to moderate and what if you don't like it and you know especially like this this all these things that you were talking about are very much things that you're an expert about and speak beautifully about uh and it would be very um upsetting if you were just like totally not on board with it i was was definitely scared i was definitely scared i was eating a lot of the chocolate popcorn i was like overeating the chocolate popcorn before like the movie started i found like ate two bags of that stuff but you're gonna have to talk about this film a lot because it goes yeah it is coming out in june yeah it comes out um uh, comes out june 26th here in seattle and nationwide, I guess. It opens a week before in LA. And so you're going to have to do all sorts of interviews about mm-hmm. this film. You're going to have to talk your head off about this film. So let's not talk about your film anymore okay. to give your brain a break. Let's actually take some questions Fantastic. and you can give some sex advice. Great. Hi, Dan. This is a, uh, a California couple in their mid-20s, Colin. We just had a strange experience uh, with the website Couchsurfing, where you stay at someone's house for free. We stayed at this guy's house. He's in his mid-40s. And at first, everything was pretty normal seemed like a cool nice guy we offered him a drink then he started offering us drinks pretty soon he was pressuring us to drink quite a bit then started flirting pretty hard with my girlfriend and then you know hitting on her and ultimately uh, asked us if we were swingers and uh that made us feel pretty uncomfortable it was it felt a bit creepy and now we're not exactly sure what to do on the whole, we liked him, and we're not sure whether or not he would try to pull this shit on other people, or if it, you know, like a single girl who was staying there, or if it was just some vibe that we were giving off, and so we're not sure what type of review we should leave him, whether we should leave him a review at all, whether we should leave a very honest review, basically detailing exactly what happened. We're not sure. So this question, the circumstance parallels in some small way echoes oh, wow. of yeah, the overnight. Absolutely. Yeah, many yeah, there are some similarities here. I mean, I'm curious to know what you would think, but I would say you should give the guy the honest you should give an honest review about that experience so that no one else finds themselves I mean, I, I my gut feeling is you were not giving off a swinger vibe. I think the guy was trying I mean, trying it depends who happen. it depends the, the details of the drink offering. Honestly, that would be the most. That would be the thing. I'd be the who who offered who a drink first. Maybe that's where. Well, he he does say that they all began drinking, but yeah. then he began to sort to of push, push them to yeah. drink more. Yeah, and I think that's the most revealing exactly. detail. If that's actually what de- yeah, went it, down, it, if that's those how are it the happened, details. Yeah, if that the he guy, was plying you with alcohol, exactly. trying to get you into a state where your attempt, uh, you know, consent exactly. could be obtained. Exactly under yeah alcohol duress or whatever we call it these days. Absolutely. That you do have even an obligation on like a a site like Couchsurfing or Uber, not Uber. What the fuck is the BRB? Yeah, Airbnb. Airbnb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like part of that whole like social media slash in people's houses setup. Sure. The whole thing is predicated on grounded in everyone sharing information about each other, so you don't wind up in a serial killer's basement. I think that if you escape from a serial killer's basement, who you got there because you should give them a bad rating. Airbnb. You should give them a bad review. Yeah, I agree. If you get out of the yeah, if you escape, the, you have you have an obligation to give them one out of five stars. And I think that um, – I think for sure, yeah. If and the, if the lotion in the basket was of a poor quality, you might want to mention that too. Exactly, or past its expiration date. You know, these are, these are not little things that should be overlooked. And uh, yeah, I think that probably that would be something that would be I – would, I would notify someone um, this, because it seems like – it seems like the pushing of 
chemicals to get things swirling starts to feel strange to me if indeed those are the details. There's some pushing of chemicals in the overnight. There are. There are some pushing of chemicals in the overnight. Absolutely. But we find out later. We won't give it away because it would be a spoiler. Yes. This call is sort of uh, part of a, a, a larger pattern or dynamic or inhibition that people feel. Someone will do something very creepy to you and you won't want to call them out on it or say something because you don't want to embarrass them or hurt their feelings even though they just did this insanely creepy thing to you. Like people will – you know, someone will sit next to somebody on the bus and put their hand on their leg and the person who's being assaulted doesn't want to make a scene. Mm. So they sit there quietly and endure it yeah. and it's somehow this inhibition in a good, decent person's character not to – Sure. Make somebody else feel like an asshole. Yeah. Even though they're being an asshole, they should yeah. feel like an asshole. Absolutely. And if this guy was an asshole to you guys and made you uncomfortable and did a creepy thing and plied you with alcohol and was trying to get in your pants in a really aggressive, obnoxious way, mm-hmm. don't worry about hurting his feelings or his rating. Put that Absolutely. Out there. And as you say in the in the call, really for the next people online, be careful. That's my yeah. I absolutely agree. It, but it's fine to make a pass. It's fine to make a pass. Maybe. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I would people say, get laid. People like get things laid. Happen. Yeah, Sometimes things people, happen. You know, people meet and there's like a spark and somebody has to make the move. Sure. The, the measure of whether someone's a decent human being is if they misread signals and make the move, mm-hmm. how far – they pull back right away. They apologize. Yeah. They walk it back. Yeah. They do everything they can to compensate for yeah. making that person feel uncomfortable but if they if they make the pass and then they just keep going when you're clearly yeah. saying no or clearly like broadcasting that this is not okay with you and they're like let's have another bottle of booze yeah i oh, wonder okay. i wonder what it was like to like just imagine they were going to bed that night in the house right it's not like they parted there i mean they were then going to bed in the house which i think is i wonder what that was like Jason Schwartzman, thank you thank so you. much this for coming. This is great. In. This is wonderful. It was thank really, so really much. fun. Oh, it's ba- I wish that I could do this for longer. So I hope that maybe next time I can. Anytime you're in town and you want to do the show, we, we would love to have you back. Hell yes. Jason and I will continue this conversation and answer another question or two in the Magnum edition of this week's Savage Lovecast. Hi, Dan. I am a married female. I've been married to a man for 25 years, and I have two grown children. I love my husband. I'm happily married. I want to be married to my husband for the rest of my life. However, I have never been a well-behaved wife, and I never really want to be a well-behaved wife on the inside, even though my friends, my family, and even my husband believe that I am well-behaved. So to set the definition of well-behaved, I'm talking about things that I might do that I know would anger and upset my husband. This might include charging debt on the credit cards, shopping at the expensive grocery store that we can't afford, or having more than one drink and driving home. So the specific situation of my most recent bad behavior is that I maintained a platonic friendship with a man that I had an affair with five years ago. This was an affair that was born out of two needs. One was my need to be badly behaved. The second was a need to be connected with someone that was sexually simple and uncomplicated at a time when sex in my marriage was not. My husband and I worked through the affair, moved forward, and decided to remain married. Every year, I meet with the man I slept with five years ago, and we simply catch up on each other's lives. It's 100% platonic. We don't talk about our past sexual relationship, and after two hours, we each go our own ways. This year, my husband walked into the bar where we were meeting and caught us. He was very angry and once again forbid me from seeing this man. However, I am not inclined to follow his rules. I'm not trying to sabotage our marriage. Uh, In my opinion, based on what is in my heart and in my head, this once-a-year meeting is not a threat to our marriage. And this situation is just one example of how I feel the need to behave badly. But my question is not about this specific situation. It's more about why I feel the need to rebel and follow my own rules and do what I want, even though I know that I'm hurting my husband. My intention is not to hurt my husband or my children or my friends or family. So my question is, why do I feel the need to behave badly? Is this okay? And how do I approach being myself without damaging my marriage? Any, adv- any advice or thoughts you might have would be greatly appreciated. Thank you. I've had to listen to your call six times, trying to wrap my head around exactly what is going on here. 
you rattle off a list of naughty things that you do, ways in which you rebel that include charging debt on credit cards, shopping at the expensive grocery store that we can't afford instead of the cut-rate grocery store you can afford, having more than one drink and driving home. These are things that your husband forbids you to do and you do them anyway because you're not a well-behaved wife and you don't want to be a well-behaved wife. You seem very invested in this identity of the not well-behaved wife, which leads me to believe after 25 years together that perhaps you're in a relationship or from a culture, maybe a faith background where a woman is supposed to be a well-behaved wife and that is not who you want to be. So you rebel in these small and stupid and sometimes dangerous perhaps ways. You don't say how many drinks you have before you drive home. If it's two, okay, maybe. If you're having three or four or five drinks and driving home, fuck you. That's not safe. But if your husband blows up when you go to Whole Foods once in a while, if your husband blows up when you buy something on credit that you can afford over the long run and I don't know if you have a job too but it's your money too. Even if it, you don't have a job, technically, it's your money too and you should be able to reasonably take on debts now and then. If he blows up about piddling shit – and he's so controlling and the relationship is so toxic that you can only assert your sense of control and autonomy in the margins and get back at him and the culture and the well-behaved wife thing that your friends and neighbors and whatever else have shoved down your throat. Okay, I can understand that. I can also understand why your husband wouldn't want you having a drink with the guy you had an affair with five years ago. That's perfectly reasonable. It's also, considering all the little ways in which you have been an ill-behaved wife, it's reasonable to him not to believe you when you insist this relationship is now platonic. You're not a well-behaved wife. Not well-behaved wives will lie right to their husbands' faces. But this, these, these aren't your questions. You aren't inclined to follow his rules. The 25 years of marriage, there's a pattern here. Nothing I can say is going to undo this. Either you're a nut or he's an asshole and you have Stockholm Syndrome and it's some combo platter of all that shit. Your question, why do you feel need to rebel? Perhaps to assert yourself in the margins. Perhaps to maintain some sense of yourself as an independent, autonomous individual and not an extension of your husband. Maybe it's that. And why would you do this even though you know it's hurting your husband? Because you know it's hurting your husband. If this is about some power play dynamic, you're hurting him on purpose. That's why you're doing it. That's why you're behaving badly. Is it okay? I don't know. It sounds really fucked up. It doesn't sound like a healthy relationship. It doesn't sound like two adults got together and worked it out and carved a groove into each other and now fit together. It sounds like a controlling husband and a misbehaving childish wife who probably gets off on having a controlling husband because it allows for you to be the misbehaving wife with some justification because you're pushing back against his control. As for how you can be yourself without damaging or hurting your husband, you can divorce your husband and run off and be yourself. You can be an autonomous individual who is not answerable to another autonomous individual by no longer being married to someone else. And you can do whatever the fuck you want, whenever the fuck you want, with whomever the fuck you want. But I suspect you won't do that because this misbehaving wife thing, this secret double life with – where to your children and your neighbors and your friends and the other folks at the church, you are the model of wifely devotion, submission, comportment, behavior. But you know yourself to have hidden depths. You dig this. It gives you some sort of psychic or erotic charge. And I doubt you're going to run away from it. In a way, your marriage has been a long, long role-playing game. That it's possible your husband didn't know he was signing up for. Good luck. Sounds like you two deserve each other. 
Hi, Dan. I'm calling with a response um, to the woman who was worried about her ex-boyfriend. You told her not to open her email, his emails, which is good, but you also told her to delete them. And I really think that she should save those because in case she ever does need to take legal action or get a restraining order, um, those emails would be really useful. Hi, this is a comment for the man that called in in the last episode because he felt that women didn't appreciate his romantic gestures. As a street girl that's been on the receiving end of a lot of that kind of nice guy attention, I think part of the problem here is that that kind of generic bring you flowers, talk about what our kids might look like stuff feels pretty all generic. And like, it's not about you as a person, it's more just about the idea of a girl and what a girl's like. And like, they like you for being a girl rather than for being the person that you are. So my advice to the caller would be to listen to the woman you date, find out the things that make them tick, what they personally like, and try to be nice in that way. Hello. I listened to your podcast and <laughs> was really interested by the uh, the lady who called to say that she had a hard time keeping her boyfriend erect when she was giving him a blowjob. And I, too, have received similar blowjobs. I'm one of those guys that loves getting a blowjob. But what struck me was when she said they go soft, when she plays with their balls a little and gives them a little kiss or something like that. A guy, in my experience, is really going to love a blowjob where the woman is sucking on his cock and using her hand. Little feathery kisses and playing with your balls is not what a guy is going to want to keep his dick hard. So that's my two cents on that. And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-201-2720. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at Rescute and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. 